pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night and ask that you would take our Thanksgiving service and help us to understand what true Thanksgiving is. And Lord, to be thankful, not only for the things that you've done, but for who you are. And Lord, most importantly, for the promises that are in your word. We ask you to guide and direct each part of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to welcome you to our Thanksgiving service. And, of course, Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that the believer in the Bible should be celebrating in truth and in reality each and every day. And uh, But uh, I'd just like to... Uh, give a little bit of the history of Thanksgiving. There's many that have tried uh, to uh, sully the uh, celebration of Thanksgiving by talking about all of the inequities of mankind and, and uh, things that have happened between uh, the Indians and, uh, and the white settlers that came in. And most of that is... Uh, fabricated the pilgrims got along wonderfully with the Indians that were in their area. And uh, the first Thanksgiving was celebrated in the Plymouth Colony in 1621, just a few years ago. And uh, it was after the horrible winter, the first winter they spent out of 102 that came to be the founders of Plymouth Colony, 50 were left. They had died of starvation, of disease, of cold during the first winter. The second winter was completely different. There was food. There was provision laid up. There was wood set aside, fuel for the fires to keep the houses warm. And they wanted to be thankful to God for giving them this provision. Now, I'm not into uh, often quoting talk show hosts and things, but uh, if you want to read the entire account, I have the book. I'll, I'll leave it up here. Uh, I'm just going to talk most of it. It's, it's, uh, it's marked with a little green thing here, but the first winter, the uh, original Document We hear about the Mayflower Compact, which was signed by everyone, man and woman, all adults, uh, agreeing to a legal code that would protect people, both of the religious pilgrims and those that did not share their religion, were all under one law. Where in the world would they get a crazy idea that law should apply to everyone equally? Uh, I, I think here's a pretty good source for that. In fact, it's the only place you'll find that in, in all of history. Man has always made laws that are beneficial to one certain group of people and, and harmful or, or not as beneficial to people that they didn't like or people that didn't share them. This is one of the great problems uh, of what has been called the sacro or sacred society in which a church tries to govern people is, of course, if you don't follow the rules of the church, you're going to be persecuted. 
This brought the Inquisition in medieval Europe. Uh, this is how Islam treated those that refused to become part of Islam. You had the choice of, of uh, joining Islam, uh, becoming a slave, or death. Those were your three basic choices that Muhammad gave, uh, areas that he had been able to conquer. And uh, we go through all of history, and, and we find any time a religious, a religion, let's be careful here, not religious, but a religion came into secular power, they persecuted those that would not follow them. The Catholics did it. The Protestants followed in their footsteps. Uh, there was one group that believed in freedom and equality, and they were the most accursed people in medieval Europe. They were called Anabaptists. Now, not all Anabaptists believe like we do, but all people who believe like we do in medieval Europe were called Anabaptists. You, you follow me through on that one. Uh, all you had to do to qualify to be an Anabaptist was refuse baby baptism. Uh, the pilgrims, by the way, were not. They, they were Protestant. They believed in baptizing babies. They believed in a sacred society. And where they got this idea as they formed the society that would be the Plymouth Colony, they said, listen, we're going to take all the wealth that is produced. You see, they had to pay the creditors in London who financed the trip over. That had to be repaid. And so all the money was to go into a common fund and everyone would own a share. Everyone from their ability to everyone to their need. Does that sound familiar? How many people, well, um, uh, if you ever lived under communism, some people in our church have, you would be very familiar with that statement because that is the founding tenet or postulate of communism. Now, where in the world with the pilgrims who believed the Bible enough to give equal rights to everyone, where would they get a tenant or a thought like that? How about Acts chapter 2? Let, let's go there for a minute. And don't worry, you've got to listen close. We are not espousing communism or socialism in any of its forms. In fact, we're going to explain why it cannot and never will work, and it only has worked for one little short period of history, and we'll explain why. Go with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse 44. It says, And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now skip down to chapter 4 and verse 32. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And we go on and it talks about the ministry 
that was and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? You join church, and you never had a physical need again. I mean, that's what it's talking about. But how many of you have read Acts chapter 6? In Acts chapter 6, it says there was dissension in the church because the non-Hebrew widows were not receiving an equal distribution, or at least they felt, with the Hebrew widows. And so we see that this having in common of goods only lasted from the end of Acts chapter 2 to the beginning of Acts chapter 6, which was not a very long period of time. In fact, most of Acts chapter 5 is taken with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who were corruptors of that thought as they sold and gave part of what they had and sought to get glory and praise of man as having given all. And God had one cure for them. It was death. Peter said, you didn't lie unto men. You lied unto God. You see, socialism never has and never will work. In fact, the only short time period of history it did work was in the New Testament church where every person was utterly sincere and new in their faith in God. And that didn't last very long. You know why? Because even in church, people come for the wrong reasons. Now, don't they? And God never designed a sacred society. There will not be one, a society built on a religion until Jesus rules this world from the city of Jerusalem. And then even the Bible tells us that man will have a hundred, basically a hundred years to make a decision and those that refuse to believe are going to be removed from the kingdom of God and await the last judgment of Christ. And so we have the pilgrims reading a verse in the Bible, taking it totally out of context, and hoping to create utopia here on earth. And half of them starved to death and died of disease. And I just want, you to, I just want to read to you one of the quotes, uh, as William Bradford is quoted in this book here, uh, written by Rush Limbaugh, by the way. Uh, the experience that was had in this common course and condition tried sundry years that by taking away property and bringing community into a commonwealth would make them happy and flourishing as if they were wiser than God, Bradford wrote. For this community, so far as it was found to breed much confusion and discontent, and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort. 
For young men that were most able and fit for labor and service did repine that they should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without any recompense. That was thought in justice. Bradford, who had become the new governor of the colony, recognized that this form of collectivism was as costly and destructive to the pilgrims as that first harsh winter, which had taken so many lives. He decided to take bold action. Bradford assigned a plot of land to each family to work and manage, thus turning loose the power of the marketplace. And, of course, this book is primarily a political book, but he brings forth the idea and the truth that God intended you to work for that which you receive. And to be thankful to God for the ability that he has given us to do that work and produce that good. Understanding that any effort that we are able to expend ultimately comes from God's blessings in our lives. Amen? But I want to challenge us to go a little deeper. Because if we're not careful, we'll fall into the trap of what I call selfish thanksgiving. When something good happens in your life, something you've been expecting, something you've hoped, something you've prayed for, what is the first thing that you do? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. Isn't that true? Shouldn't that be your first response? Hello? There's nothing wrong with that. We ought to be thankful. But what happens when something bad happens? What happens when God says no to my plans and my wishes? What happens when life turns upside down. What is our first response? I'll tell you, if we're in the flesh, it's God, why are you doing this to me? And and I want to challenge you, that is a selfish thanksgiving. And that's not the kind of thanksgiving that is in the Bible. Now, if you go out and indulge in sin and embezzle funds from your company and steal money and put it in your pocket and take it out and and do things and you get caught and go to jail, guess what? You have nothing to be thankful for. The trials in your life were caused by you. Disobeying what God said. But as we walk through this life, and negative things happen. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5. And this is a verse that we, we all should memorize. If I were to ask you the question, how many of you want to be in God's will? In God's perfect will for your life? And most of us would say, yes, I, I want God's will for my life. Well, this verse here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, says, For in, uh, not for, it says, In everything give thanks, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It says, in everything, give thanks. Now, what came right before that? Everybody read with me verse 17 nice and loud. Pray without ceasing. Uh, prayer is my communication to God. I'm supposed to be in a constant attitude of prayer and seeking God. And if I am there, then no matter what happens, I can be thankful. Now, I want to challenge you. There's some different parts of being thankful that we need to take into note. And there are so many Bible verses that I'm not going to give you just one on each one. I'm going to let this one right here uh, uh, suffice for all. We need to praise God for who He is. That's praise. We need to praise God for who He is. How many of you remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6? For without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You must believe that God is, and that God is good. Otherwise, nothing in this Bible is going to mean Anything to you. The Bible tells us that we need to praise God for who He is. He is the Creator. Amen? He is the God of gods. He is the King of kings. He is in control even amidst all the rotten things that man does to other men. God is still in charge. He is still God. And even though people doubt Him and don't believe in Him, that does not change the fact that He is. And God always has been His. I like to say it this way just to frustrate grammarians that may be with us. God was is, He is is, and always will be is. Uh, because God is always present tense. He changes not. The same God that parted the Red Sea can say no to healing a loved one. You know what? He's still good. God is good because God is God. There's nothing wrong with being thankful for what God has done. There's not a day that should go by that we shouldn't be thankful for an old rugged cross. That we shouldn't be thankful for an empty tomb. That we shouldn't be thankful for the offer of whosoever will. I get frustrated with those that want to adopt a Calvinistic outlook on Scripture. Philip, that's enough. You're disrupting the service that want to limit God's love and God's atonement to only those people who get saved. It is not God who limits His love. It is mankind that refuses it. And we need to thank God for what He did. 
We need to be thankful for what he is doing. How many of you have ever taken time to thank God for all the things that you don't see and understand that go on in this world? You know, that's a good thing to do. Because God is at work even when we cannot see him. Because he's good. And we need to concentrate on the promises that are in this book. I'll tell you what. It is a sad time to be an American. It really is. What our country has done and what our country is uh, making choices to say this is good and this is wrong. It's, It's a sad time. But you know what? i got a promise in here that I can look for a better country and a better city like Abraham did. Not one built with human hands. And I always cringe just a little bit when, uh, when we sing America the Beautiful, Thine Alabaster Cities Gleam Undimmed by Human Tears. No, that's, that's talking about heaven, the New Jerusalem. Uh, that's not going to be on earth. And there's no man that can create that. Only God can. But his city is not made out of alabaster. The streets are paved with gold. I'll tell you what. I can't wait to get there. And we need to remind ourselves of what God is. But I want to challenge you. Don't be socialistic in your approach to God's blessings. Sometimes we take that same approach that, well, I'll just come to church and I'll do my part and I'll just enjoy the blessings that are there. Now, I will tell you this, if you'll come to church, if you'll get saved, get baptized, follow the Lord, become a member, (coughs) excuse me, How many would say, Preacher, I've enjoyed blessings being a member of this church? Would you say that tonight? Would you lift up a hand and say, Hey, I'm a member. God has blessed me by being faithful to Him in His church. You know, God will bless you because you're around people who are saved. That's that's what it means in the book of Peter when it talks to the saved wife. And says, or, or the saved husband with an unsaved spouse, it says, uh, your, your children are going to be blessed. Why? Because they're going to be exposed to the gospel through the parent that is saved. It says that your spouse is not going to be as free to do the things of the world because the testimony of that saved spouse is going to hinder them somewhat. Now, sometimes it doesn't appear that way, but Let me tell you, it does. The Bible's always right. But God never intended for us to enjoy just corporate blessings. He intended for you and I as individuals, thank you, He intended for you and I as individuals to seek and put ourselves in a place where God can bless me. 
Have you ever wondered why some people just seem to have all the blessings and other people don't? Well, God's not a socialist. He's not going to bless all people equally. He wants you, just like the pilgrims of old, to till the land that he has allotted to you, to follow the path that he has for you, that God has a plan for your life. He has things he wants you to do and things he wants to bless you for. And then you'd have a whole lot more to be thankful for than just the blessings that God gives as we're corporately faithful. And guess who's going to be a, who is going to be blessed with you? Those around you, amen? You know, sometimes I, I, I wonder if God wouldn't bless one of our members uh, financially, not by winning the lottery. If you win the lottery and you want to put money in the offering plate, don't tell me where it comes from because I'll tell you to take it back. Give it to somebody else. We, we really don't want dirty money here. I know one preacher, he said, give it to me, the devil's had it long enough. But I'll tell you what, I just don't know about that thought process. But wouldn't it be incredible if, if God took the life of some individual and allowed them to be extremely prosperous in this world and to, and to make money and then to tithe and give offerings off of that money. I knew one guy in Michigan, he started out, took the challenge of the Bible, tithing, and before it was all said and done, he's been home with the Lord for years, but I've driven past his factory on Route 75 between uh, uh, Toledo, Ohio, and Detroit several times. Somebody pointed out he was living on 10%. Uh, much better than any of us collectively here. Uh, and giving away 90% to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars in his lifetime. Amazing story. Uh, wouldn't that be fun if that happened around here? You know, but you know what would happen? Is other people get socialistic and start living off his blessing and not doing their part. You see, that's what human nature does. And that's why God says, you need to eagerly seek God's blessings. And then your thanksgiving will be better than it's ever been before. Say, preacher, this is kind of a weird sermon for you. Yes, it is. But you know, it's something that we need to take note of. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Actually, I believe it's Mark chapter... Just a second here. There it is. Yes, verse 28. 
Then Peter, Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Now what this was in context was, the rich young ruler had just turned around and walked away from Jesus because he would not part with his earthly possessions to follow Jesus. And so Peter's looking and Peter's thinking and said out loud what the rest is. Well, well, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. What's happened to us? And, and here was the Lord's answer, and I want you to read it carefully with me, starting in verse 28. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the Gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecution, and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You want to put yourself in the, in, the, in the place of blessing. Now, unfortunately, I've had some people come into my office and actually try to quote this verse and said, See, see there it says that if I'm going to be able to serve God, I've got to get rid of my husband. If I'm going to serve God, I got to get rid of that. Is not the Bible doesn't contradict itself. I'm not making that up. They didn't stick around for church service because they, by the time we were done counseling, they knew they didn't want another load of that. But I'll tell you this story if I can. When I was a Junior in Bible college, I thought I'd met the person I was going to marry and would be my life's partner. And dear old Mrs. Wilson, some of you remember Dr. Art Wilson, she just sat me down like a mother. And she said, you have no business marrying that girl. You can't share with her the music that God's given you and you can't. And I, I, I'm just telling you, it's not God's will. Shook me up. You know why? Because I knew it wasn't God's will already. But God used her to encourage me to give up. And you know who got mad at me? Well, she did, number one. And the preacher got mad at me. And half the people in the church got mad at me. I mean, but you know what? I said, if I'm going to serve God, God's given me direction here. My mother had already, my real mother had already told me. And I wasn't listening. And God used old Mrs. Wilson to set me straight. And let me tell you something. God's got a whole lot better taste than I do. Hundredfold would not even be in comparison. And that wasn't that she was a bad girl. Nothing at all. But I'm just telling you, God does things so much better than we do. Uh, once you get married, it's too late to get rid of to serve God. Once you say, I do, you're done. As long as you both shall live. And so, if you're going to give up, 
Give up before you say I do, not after. Amen? Uh, Are you going to allow someone or something to keep you from serving God? I've met people say, well, Pastor, I just want a good life. I just want to own my own home. And I can't do that here in New York City. And, I, I can't, and I'm just going to move to where I can. I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. You've already made up your mind. But I will tell you this. If you'll give up some things for God, He'll give it back to you. A hundred times over. That doesn't mean if you own a home, go sell it. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about making sure. You see, we often decide what we believe will be blessings in our lives. And then we tell God that's what he should give us. And that doesn't always work out the right way. But if we'll give up on our definition of blessings and surrender to God, He will bless us in ways that we could not imagine. He wants us to go after blessings. You know what? He wants you, if you're here today and you're not married, He wants you to have that perfect person or be perfectly content being single, God's blessings are the best. But you got to surrender your decision. I've often told the story of Sarah, especially leading up to her wedding when she was just young, going off to Bible college. Will God make me marry somebody ugly? And uh, I don't know that Chad actually identifies... Uh, as model material, but uh, Sarah's not complaining. Let me tell you this. Uh, We just got to visit. I mean, they're having a great time and loving being in the Lord and being together. There are just certain things you can't buy. You want God's blessings surrender yourself to Him. That's what He meant when He that saveth His life will lose it, and he that loses His life for my sake shall save it. Give it up and let God work. Look with me at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6. This is known as the Sermon on the Plain. And very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, only it was a different time and a different place, but many of the, much of the material was the same. And Jesus put it here in verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. It's not what you have. It's what has you. Say, give. And it shall be given unto you. You know what? You can't outgive God. Everybody here knows that. But do we really believe it? 
Or are we willing to settle for a socialistic blessing of just being around the other people who are willing to give and enjoy their stories? I don't know about you, but I want those stories to be mine. In fact, I, I want people to look and praise God they have at our church. I've had people say, I wish God had given me a building in New York City. Well, you're not there. You're in wherever it was. Michigan, Kansas, other places. Why would God give you a building in New York City if you're not in New York City? And uh, the simple truth of the matter is God's done some magnificent things for our church. We need to be thankful. But I don't want to rest on the old stories. I want some new ones. How about you? Surrender. I mean, you look at history. We've had several presidents in recent history, in my memory, that sought a great legacy. In fact, one of those presidents basically said through his uh, people who had had contact with him that he had wished 9-11 had happened on his watch so he could take credit for doing the things that President Bush had done. Could you imagine? That's recorded in history. You know what that says about that man? He's a very little man. But we have other men who were not concerned about themselves at all. Who took endless ridicule and name-calling. Can anybody remember anything good that the news media said about President Bush, the second President Bush, while he was in office? And yet history has already recorded him as one of the most influential and great presidents that we've had. Same was true of Ronald Reagan. Oh, they called him a cowboy. They called him every name that you could imagine. And mocked and laughed until the Berlin Wall came down. They didn't give the sitting president the, what do they call that? The, the accolades for having the Berlin Wall came down. They went back to President Reagan because he was the guy that did it. I'll tell you, you give. Give your future. Give your testimony. Give your dreams. Give your legacy if you want that to the Lord. And he'll multiply. You choose what it's going to be. And let me tell you, you're going to lose everything before it's all over. Because you can't have what you want and what God wants to give you. If you know the verse, quote it with me. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not... But how many of you want something for Christmas? Now, I do understand that's two different uses of the same word. The word want means to be missing anything. God will give you everything you need to serve Him. And you'll have more to be thankful for 
the more you serve him. Because the more you serve him, the more you're going to need to serve him. Amen? Don't be satisfied with someone else's blessings. And we can't end the service and talk about blessings without at least mentioning the Beatitudes. Because he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? If you'll make yourself poor in spirit. That's not a pretend thing. That's understanding. That you have nothing and no ability to save yourself or to serve God. I am poverty stricken. Just like the poor man who works in the field all day long and cannot take home enough food to feed his own family and himself. There's a huge portion of this world. I believe the numbers are somewhere around a third or even more of the population of this world that go to bed hungry every night because they don't have enough food to fill their bellies. And we here in America, we spend more on weight loss than most nations do on food. I mean, stop and think about it. Poor in spirit gets the blessings of God. Meekness. Mourning. Pure in heart. Persecution for the cause of Christ. These are the things that bring blessing into our life. You know what? You can't accomplish any one of those things by setting out to accomplish it. You can accomplish it by understanding what the Bible says about you. And you'll put yourself in the place of blessing. Don't be satisfied with someone else's stories. Don't be satisfied just being a part of the blessings that God wants to give. Because He wants to give them to you. Read Ephesians chapter 2. That in the ages to come. He wants to show His exceeding love to us. By putting your life on display. Talk about your 15 minutes of fame. How would you like God's video of your life to go two seconds? They lived, died. Next. Because they didn't invest their life in receiving God's blessings. You want to have more to be thankful about? Put yourself where God can bless you. And this book tells you. Now, does that mean that you're going to be rich and famous and have all kinds of money and everybody's going to talk good about you? No, you have to go to TBN for that kind of stuff. But if you want to truly enjoy life and a good relationship with God and a good eternity... Put yourself in a place where God can use you and bless you. And all God's people said,
Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us during this holiday season, this time when even the world takes a little bit of notice of who you are and your goodness and the great blessings that we can enjoy as a nation. Lord, we ask that you would use us to turn others' eyes toward you. Lord, that our thankfulness would bleed over into other people's lives. And Lord, that we would not be satisfied just with the blessings that you've given others or even our church. But Lord, we'd want it to be bigger and more wonderful and to such a point that only God could have credit for it. Lord, we ask that you would challenge us to put ourselves in the place where you could bless us. Pack down, running over, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And Lord, let us understand that your blessings are not always what we may consider blessings. You told Peter, with persecutions, but in the life to come, eternal life. Lord, let us seek that you may give us that which we need to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And let's just have the piano play.